about being in the Psalms so long, but how can you not love the Psalms? It's just to look at God, right? We just look at God. We look how beautiful the Lord Jesus is. We worship Him. We treasure Him. So, I love the Psalms. We'll probably have another message or two in the Psalms. I know they can be quite repetitive, so maybe only a few more messages from the Psalms. And then we'll maybe move on. But I've loved it very much. How can you not love a long look at Jesus? O Yahweh, our Adonai, how majestic is Your name in all the earth, Psalm 8.1, which we looked at a couple of weeks ago. Um, But today is a unique day on the church calendar. Um, And I probably will teach tonight more than I will preach, okay? Uh, There's a lot of Scripture I just want to share with you. I want you to... I want you to listen. I want you to tune in. I don't want you to drift off on me. Uh, this is uh, one of the most important messages that can be preached in the modern church. Uh, but who knows what the uh, special event is or the special occasion is for this particular Sunday in the church calendars. Does anybody know? Nobody knows. Okay, that's good. Uh, aren't you glad you came tonight? I'm sorry? Also, I'm not familiar with that term, um, so my apologies, I'm not familiar with that term. Um, in the tradition I grew up in, and I, I presume most of us in here, if not all of us, are Protestants, this is called Reformation Sunday. 499 years ago, a little ugly monk named Martin Luther nailed 95 theses to the door at the church of Wittenberg. It was the catalyst that started the Protestant Reformation. I know it's true that many who are in church and call themselves Christians are woefully ignorant of church history. And I I understand that probably in some sense the church has been remiss in teaching uh, this important aspect of church history. Martin Luther was a scholar who was exercised about all of the unbiblical and even outrageously false things that were coming out of the Roman Catholic Church. And his theses challenged the Roman Catholic Church, particularly on the sale of indulgences. Some of you... Do you know what indulgences are? The Catholic Church used to sell indulgences, although they officially say they never sold them. Uh, they practically did. An indulgence was, if you gave some money, then you could get a, a, a few days' uh, grace in purgatory, right? So you wouldn't have to spend so long in purgatory. This is what an indulgence was. Or you could buy one for your dearly departed grandma. You could throw some money in the, in the, in the pail, and buy some indulgences for grandma who's in purgatory. Although we understand, if we understand our Bibles, uh, there's no such thing as purgatory. It's something that the Roman Catholics made up. But the Roman Catholics, they needed money to build St. Peter's, and they were doing this all over Europe, and Martin Luther had had enough. He said, this is not biblical. Not only is it not biblical, it's corrupt, right? So he nailed his theses to the door, and... The Protestant Reformation began. Four years um, later, he stood before an archbishop and at the Diet of 
Vorms, some of you may know that word, and he was ordered to recant from his charges of corruption and heresy against the Roman Catholic Church. Um, he was in grave danger to take on the power of the Pope. And they threatened him, uh, not only with excommunication, but with possible execution. He knew what the, the, the cost was of taking on the Pope. And they, they, they demanded that he recant. And this is what he said. Unless I am convinced by Scripture and plain reason, I do not accept the authority of popes and councils, for they have contradicted one another. My conscience is captive to the Word of God. I cannot and will not recant anything for to go against conscience is neither right nor safe. Here I stand, I can do no otherwise. Did you hear it in Luther's reply? What's at stake here? He said it twice in his reply. What's at stake? Authority is at stake. Do we believe that the Bible is the Word of God and has ultimate authority? Or do we delegate that authority to a man who holds the office of Pope in Rome? The issue is authority. The issue is the Word of God. And beloved, that's why ICM exists. Can I just say that? <laughs> we exist because we love the Word of God. We don't talk about much else in here. If you don't like the Word of God, don't come back because all you're going to hear is the Word of God. <laughs> we don't, that's all we do. That's all we do. The Word of God. We love the Word of God. In the Word of God, we see, we see our Savior. We see the power of Jesus Christ. We see His love for us. We understand the doctrine of justification through His atoning work. I'm not interested in popes and councils and creeds and edicts and diets. and I'm not interested in those things. At ICM, we don't really care what men say. Men may say some good things, but we don't ultimately care. What we really care about, what does God say? That's really all that matters at the end of the day, beloved. What does God say? So the question for Martin Luther, 499 years ago, it's the same question you and I have. Is the Bible, the inspired, inerrant, infallible, trustworthy Word of God or not? I love what the American preacher, my one of my favorite American preachers, John MacArthur says about this. He says, the Catholic Church uses the Bible, but they don't need it. They just make stuff up. Now that's not simply true about the Catholic Church. It's true of the Eastern Orthodox Church. And it's true of much of modern Protestantism. Much of what is called Christendom today have to one degree or another left this. This is no longer their principal authority, their only authority, their primary authority. Many have drifted away. They've just drifted away. And we're going to talk a lot about that and we're going to talk about God's, how God feels about that by simply looking at the Word. Many so-called churches today, they just edit God. We, we, it's my favorite phrase. It's my shorthand phrase for, 
for jettisoning the, the truth of God in this Word. It's an edit. We don't edit God at ICM. At ICM, we're going to preach the, the stuff that you like and the stuff that you don't like. We'll preach the stuff that's easy to receive and we'll preach the stuff that is hard to receive. There are deep and weighty things in the Word of God. And God means for His people to be aware of all of them. All of them. We preach the 66 books of the Christian Bible. And I consciously say 66 books because Protestants do not recognize the 13 to 17 apocryphal books that Roman Catholics and Eastern Orthodox recognize. We do not recognize them as divine and inspired. The Christian Bible, let me just say this. And I'm not going to give it, this is not a sermon on the Bible. I have one. If you're interested, I'll send you my notes if you're interested on it. But I do want to say this. I love this about the Christian Bible. It's comprised of 66 books written by 40 different authors over a period of 1,500 years, three different languages, on three different continents, with documented, fulfilled prophecy, a common storyline, theme, uh, with no historical or factual errors and no doctrinal con contradictions. Uh, one uh, scholar in seminary, he told his students, go find another book like that. Right? Go find another book like that. And one of the students says, that's impossible. And the scholar said, of course it's impossible. Right? It's impossible. It is a supernatural book. It's a book given by God. God has spoken, beloved, in a book. And men have the audacity to edit Him. It's one of the most important things I say to you as you pass through here. Because it's your responsibility, you call yourself a Christian, it's your responsibility to be in a church that exalts Jesus Christ through the Word of God. You know why false teachers get away with teaching falsehoods? You know why they get away with it? Because you don't know this. Because the people don't know this. So some Pied Piper can stand in front of you and tell you all sorts of fiction and myth. You heard the text read. Beloved, God means, you're a Christian, God means for you to know the Word. So you can discern truth and error. Of course, Satan hates the Word of God. It was his first attack. How did he come to Eve? What did he say to Eve? What did he attack when he came to Eve? Oh, has God... Indeed, as God said, He attacked the Word from the very beginning. He's still attacking it now. He's always attacked it. He attacked it Old Testament. He attacked it New Testament. He's attacked it uh, post-New Testament. The church age. He's still attacking it. He hates the Word of God. There's power and truth in the Word of God. Two things He hates. Power and and truth, there is salvation and redemption in the Word of God. He hates that. Satan hates that. There are two distinct kinds of false religion in the world. And we saw the, the, the first example of false religion. It's in Genesis chapter 3. It's six verses later after, after um, <laughs> Adam and Eve sinned against the Lord. 
Anybody remember the first attempt at man-made religion? They made loincloths to cover their sin. It's, the, it's what religion is. It's, and I want you to understand, when I use the word religion, it's a pejorative, it's a negative term for me. Um, but they were trying to make the, cover their shame, right? And make themselves uh, uh, acceptable to God and even trying to build self-righteousness. But there's two kinds of distinct false religion. The first one are all the religions of the world, okay, exclusive of Christianity. And you can always tell a false religion. It's what they do with Jesus, <laughs> right? So, if they say He's less than God, it's false. If they say He's merely a prophet, it's false. If they say He's one God among many gods, it's false. If they say He's a false Messiah... That religion is false. If uh, they alter or diminish what God says about Him in any way, it is false. If they simply ignore Him as irrelevant, it is false. If a religion tells an explicit or implicit lie about Jesus, which they all do, if you don't believe me, you do your own homework. You know? We know that it is false. And where does falsehood come from? Someone tell me. If you know your Bibles, John chapter 8, what does Jesus say? Where, do, where does every lie... Who is the father of every lie? Say it out loud. Who? Satan! I don't have a problem with tolerance. I don't have a problem with... with, with Rubbing elbows with anybody, I don't have a problem with it, but I do have a, a problem with untruth. I do have a problem with lies. And so I would lovingly tell someone who's locked into a false religion, I would lovingly tell them uh, the truth of the Scriptures. You say, Jim, that's intolerant. No, that's love, beloved. That's love. It's love to get them out of bondage. It's love. We have this goofy notion of what love is in the modern world. It means that everything's okay. Nobody cares about objective truth. Well, the Christian is supposed to care about objective truth. And we're supposed to love people enough to share the truth with them. Secondly, and more insidious, you have your world religions. And secondly, and more insidious, you have pseudo-Christianity. You have... Uh, the false variations of so-called Christianity. These are denominations that to one degree or another have left or abandoned this. Okay, They have left or abandoned the Word of God. What does it mean to be apostate? It means they've left, they've departed, they deny, they abandon, or they renounce the truth. Much of Christendom today, and I know some of you don't like this, but you know what? Uh, I get that a lot. <laughs> but here's the deal. Much of modern Christendom is apostate. What does it mean? They've left the Scripture as their primary authority. Because of one pressure or another, they've left the Scriptures. They are in the process of editing God. God, there's too much cultural heat on that point. Leave, we're going to leave that alone. You've just left the Bible. You've just left the Word of God. We're going to hear in a few moments how the Lord feels about that. 
Satan has been stunningly successful in marketing world religions to mankind, but I suspect his proudest achievement has been in his success in contriving and peddling pseudo-Christianity. And that's what Luther was fighting. 499 years ago, he was fighting a false system that had left the truth. It's what Luther was fighting. It's what he was fighting. And we still remember Reformation Day. You know, it's just a little bit. I, I get questions all the time about false teachers, right? And they say, well, he says so many good things. I know. But there's always this undercurrent, right? There's always an undercurrent of falsehood. And you have to know the Bible or you'll not catch it. You're supposed to know this, beloved. You're supposed to know this. You're supposed to eat this. It's supposed to be your, your bread and your meat. If you, you can't be a Christian without it. You'll be emaciated. You'll be weak. You'll not be able to stand in the world if you don't know what your God has said about Himself and about you and about mankind and about sin and about judgment and about condemnation and about wrath and about hell, you won't know how to stand and lovingly share the truth. No, I'm not one of these guys that stands on the corner and yells at people. That does no good. Now do yell at church. Yeah, I get excited, okay? You gotta love people, man. You gotta love people enough to tell them the truth. Do you believe this at all? Tell them the truth. It's what God has left you here to do. Certainly, ICM does not profess to have a corner on the truth, but we do know how to read a Bible. And I want to tell you, beloved, the words mean what the words mean, whether you like it or not. God is not polling for how popular He is, right? He's just speaking truth. He is just speaking the truth. God is unambiguous in His Word when Paul writes to the Galatians, to the Galatians in chapter 1. I am amazed that you are so quickly deserting Him who called you by the grace of Christ for a different gospel. It's what was at stake 499 years ago. It's what's at stake every day now. Okay? It's what was at stake when Paul wrote Galatians. He says, you, you've listened to a different gospel. It's not really another one. It's only uh, that some who are disturbing you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to what we have preached to you, He is to be, someone tell me, let Him be what? Accursed, Paul says. You say, Jim, that's strong language. It's not my language. It's the language of God. Anybody who alters the gospel, God says, let them be accursed. He says it through his apostle Paul. Beloved, there's a lot at stake here. There's a ton at stake here. And I want you to hang with me. We're going to cover some scriptures here. We're going to cover a number of scriptures so how do you know when someone's not preaching the Bible? You don't know unless you know the Bible. you got to know this. You say, Jim, 
I don't have enough time. Wrong. You have plenty of time. It's a matter of priority. Okay? It's always a matter of priority. It's always a matter of priority. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 11, 13-15, talking about false teachers, he said, these men are false apostles. They're deceitful workers. They disguise themselves as apostles of Christ. I can just see their faces on the internet right now and on the bestseller list in America. Okay? They disguise themselves as the apostles of Christ. No wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. Satan doesn't come to you as a devil. How does Satan come to you? In every conceivable way, the most insidious is he comes to you through what is called Christian religion. That's how he comes to most people who call themselves Christians. He comes to you through a false, an edited, an adulterated gospel. It's what he does. He appears as an angel of light, but he brings death in his hand. I always love Philippians 3.3 when Paul is exercised about the false teachers even before the, you know, the end of the first century. Right? And he calls them dogs and evil workers. Jim, that's really strong. I know. It's how God feels about it. It's how God feels about it. Dogs and evil workers, anyone who would presume to alter this and edit this and teach some other so-called gospel. What has happened in the New Testament church, it's not unprecedented. It happened in the Old Testament. Uh, it happened in Old Testament Judaism. And I want to make that case for you so you can see it in the Old Testament and then you can see it in the New Testament. You say, Jim, why are you belaboring this? Because I want you to know it's always happened. From Genesis 3 to uh, what is today? Uh, uh, October 30, 2016. It's still happening. Satan is attacking the Word. He's still doing it. The Old Testament Jews repeatedly drifted off from what God had clearly said to them. Some totally left and became engrossed in idolatry. Others simply allowed it to become brain-dead, heart-dead religion. I know some of you can relate to that with respect to maybe friends or family that you know. It just, it's, just, you know it's just perfunctory. Well, I do it because, well, that's how I was raised. and It's in my culture, so I do it. It doesn't change the life. It doesn't create love for the Lord Jesus Christ. It's just something I do. It makes me feel better about myself. It's just ritual. It's just procedure. So, I'm going to look at a few Scriptures here. I want you to see it in the Old Testament. The Old Testament Jew professing fidelity to Jesus, but loving the world more. It's, 
it's very much what is an epidemic in the modern church. And where does it start, beloved? Where does it start? Where does it start? Where does apostasy start? It starts with me. It starts with the clergy. It starts with religious professionals, right? It starts with the clergy. It started with the Old Testament priesthood. It started with the Old Testament prophets. When you encounter pseudo-Christianity, you will find a pseudo-clergy. Just a couple of verses from the Old Testament, okay? If you want these, I'll send them to you. Email me. I'm not going to give you uh, all the Scripture references. The first one, Jeremiah chapter 6. Regarding the clergy, God says, For from the least of them, even to the greatest of them, everyone is greedy for gain. All sound familiar? Uh, yeah, in the modern church. And from the prophet even to the priest, everyone deals falsely. They have healed the brokenness of my people superficially, saying, peace, peace, but there is no peace. Were they ashamed because of the abomination they have done? They were not even ashamed at all. They did not even know how to blush. Therefore, uh, they shall fall among those who fall at the time that I punish them. They shall be cast down says the Lord. Jeremiah 23 selected passages. Woe to the shepherds, the prophets, the priests, for they are polluted. I have found their wickedness in my house. Are you hearing this? Do you understand? You have to know the truth because men like me will stand in places like this and tell you lies. They will do it. I have found this unbelievable naivete among most professing Christians. They think, well, if some religious professional says it, it must be true! Wrong! There's a good chance it's not true! And I tell you all the time, don't take my word for anything. If it's not in there, you can blow me off. You should blow me off. It's your responsibility. To blow me off. <laughs> if I'm telling you something you can't find in here. Okay. He continues. Jeremiah 23. The priests have done an offensive and horrible thing. They led, they, they led into futility and they speak from their own imagination. They intend to make my people forget me. Focus on the religion. Don't look at Christ. Focus on Mary. Focus on the idol. Focus on the sacraments. Focus on the mysticism. Focus on the tradition. Focus on the dogma. Focus on the pageantry. But don't look at Christ. Satan knows if you look at Christ, you will be changed. You look at all this other stuff, I'm not saying it's all wrong in some context. I'm saying it will not change your life. It will not change your life. Behold, I am against these prophets. He says it three times. I am against these prophets. I am against them. They have perverted my words. I will put an everlasting reproach on them. This is what's at stake 499 years ago. It's what's at stake today. Malachi chapters 1 and 2, selected verses. God says, where's my honor? Where's my respect? Says the Lord of hosts. Uh, to you, O priest, who despise My name. They use His name, but they despise it. 
Oh, that there were one among you who would shut the gates, that you would stop uselessly kindling fire on my altar. I'm not pleased with you, says the Lord of hosts, nor will I accept an offering from you. My name will be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts, but you are profaning it. And now, this commandment is for you, O priests. If you do not listen, and if you do not take to heart to give honor to my name, says the Lord of hosts, then I will send the curse upon you, and you will be taken away. For the lips of a priest should preserve knowledge and men should seek instruction from his mouth. For he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. But as for you, you have turned aside from the way. You have caused many to stumble by your instruction. You have corrupted the covenant of Levi. People have told me for 13 years, Jim, if you would you know, back off a little bit, if you take the edges off just a little bit, you get more people. Well, I'd love to have more people. I really would. It would be great. <laughs> it would be great. But not at the expense of the truth. What good does that do me? What am I going to say to God when I stand in front of God? Yeah, God, I took the edges off so people wouldn't be offended. <sighs> you know. Yeah, that's not a smart thing for a pastor to do. So in the Old Testament... Uh, Pseudo-Judaism flowed out of an apostate priesthood. Same is true for the New Testament. It's flowing out of false shepherds, priests, ministers, and teachers. And again, uh, as I mentioned earlier, there's this unbelievable, na unbelievable naivete among many in the world who call themselves Christians that if a pope says it, or if a pastor says it, or if the guy on the internet says it, who has a cross behind him, or some guy opens the Bible and he, he reads a little excerpt and then he, you know, he, he, he uses it and he springs off into what he, what he wants to tell you, which is half-truth. You know, what is half-truth? What's half-truth? It's a lie! It's always from Satan! Jim, that's awful for you to say. I wish I didn't have to say it, beloved, but it's true! It's true. It is true. Apostasy rose in the Old Testament through a corrupt clergy and it's the same in the New Testament. Let me just close the Old Testament with Amos 5, 21-23. Here was the result of the apostate clergy and the, the people following the, the apostate clergy. God says, Amos 5, 21-23, I hate what you do. I hate your festivals. I do not delight in your solemn assemblies. Even though you offer up to me burnt offerings and your grain offerings, I will not accept them. I will not look at the peace offerings of your fatlings. Take them away from me, the noise of your songs. I will not listen to them. I think in, over, in Isaiah, and I could be wrong, it's Isaiah in the early chapters of Isaiah, he says, I will not hear your prayers. I am not honored. in the temple or in the tabernacle. I am not honored. You let apostate clergy blaspheme me in the temple is effectively what was happening. Because you don't know the Word. You know, there were periods of history where people had an excuse, right? Back when Martin Luther uh, nailed his theses to the door, the people were illiterate they didn't have what you have. You are more responsible than they were. They didn't have the Word of God that they could read and memorize and meditate on and study. They didn't have it. You have it. 
<laughs> what are you going to say to the Lord? I had it, but I didn't care. <laughs> Beloved, it's all life and death. You know, I know we all have we have these, these pleasant lives in, in, in this part of the world. There are other parts of the world where it's pretty raw. You guys know. Some of you have been there. Beloved, at the end of the day, it's life and death. It's eternity. It's eternity. It matters. It matters. So Jesus arrives on the scene in the first century. It's apostate Judaism and an apostate populace, right? And who killed Jesus? The priests. The priests. The Jewish priests pursued and ultimately had Him put to death. It was the religious leaders. It was the religious professionals. Mark 7, 6 and 9 real quick. Rightly did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites. These are the words of Jesus. As it is written, the people honor Me with their lips, but their heart is far away from Me. This is what we talk about when we talk about religion. God hates it. You know? Just empty words and empty gestures. The Lord hates it. He says, they honor Me with their lips, but their heart is far from Me. In vain do they worship Me. Right? In vain. It's vain. We heard it in the... the uh, uh, Old Testament, the Amos passage, well, in the Malachi passage, God was saying, just shut it down. I don't want any more of it. He says, you teach as doctrines the precepts of men. You neglect the commandment of God. You hold to the traditions of men. You are experts at setting aside the commandment of God in order to keep your tradition. This is what was at stake 499 years ago. And it's always still at stake today. I won't read it, but you guys remember the great passage, Matthew 23, the eight woes of Jesus. He told the Pharisees, he said, man, you guys are terrible. You guys are sons of hell. The religious professionals, he said, you're sons of hell. That's what he called them. Again, Jesus' words. Let me read this one to you. I referenced it earlier, John 8. Um, if God were... Jesus is talking to the, the priests and the Sadducees and the Pharisees. If God were your Father, you would love Me. For I proceed forth and have come from God. Why do you not understand what I am saying? It's because you cannot hear My Word. You are of your father, the devil, and you want to do the desires of your father. He is a murderer from the beginning. He does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. Whenever he speaks, he speaks a lie from his own nature, for he is a liar. He is the father of lies. But because I speak the truth, you do not believe Me. He who is of God hears the words of God. For this reason you do not hear them because you are not of God. Jim, why are you belaboring this? Because it's all still happening. The fight has never stopped. It started in Genesis 3. The fight is still on. And you have to know the Word of God. You have to know the Word of God. So, can you guess why false teaching and 
False denominations, pseudo-Christianity flourish in our day? Why did it flourish in the Old Testament? It's a pseudo-clergy and a people who were not interested enough in the things of God to know that they indeed were employing a pseudo-clergy. I didn't read it to you, but there's that one place in Isaiah where the people say, don't tell us the truth. You know this, you know, we don't want the truth. Prophesy to us in delusions. Let's see what the word is. Pleasantries and illusions. <laughs> yeah, it's like most internet preaching. <laughs> tell us, tickle our ears. Tell us a lie. Just whatever we want to hear that will make my day go better. I don't want to think about heavy things, weighty things, eternal things. I don't want to think about that. I just want to think that, you know, my God is Santa Claus and, and everything's good and, and it's all going to be fine in the end. I like the cartoon better. I like the cartoon better. Listen to what Paul says. 2 Timothy chapters 3 and 4. In the last days, difficult times will come. Men will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, revilers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, malicious gossips, without self-control, brutal, haters of good, treacherous, reckless, conceited lovers of pleasure, whether, uh, rather than lovers of God, holding to a form of godliness, although they have denied its power, avoid such men as these. And as David read, for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. It's one reason. I may be a crummy preacher. I'm okay with that. But I know it's one reason we have such a small church. Most people don't care. I don't care what God says. And if He says something hard, I really don't want to know it. Tickle my ears, Jim. Tell me a myth. Make me feel good about myself so I can sleep better tonight. You know, I could do that. Uh, it'd be easy to do that. But I have to give an account for you to Him. I'd rather go sell used cars. I can't imagine selling used cars. I don't think I'd be good at that job. I don't want to sell used cars. But I would rather go sell used cars than stand up here and play patty cake with you. Right? A beloved life's too short. It's just too short. I love Eugene Peterson's paraphrase here, 2 Timothy 4, 3-4. He said, listen to this, you're going to love this. The Message Bible. People have no stomach for solid teaching. They like spiritual junk food. Right? He says, catchy opinions that tickle their fancy. They'll turn their backs on truth and chase mirages. <laughs> Much of what is called Christendom today. So how do we know when we bump into pseudo-Christianity? There are three pillars. Jesus Christ, the Bible, and salvation. What, what are these... What do these denominations or what do these teachers say about these three? Regarding Jesus Christ, pseudo-Christianity always promotes a more user-friendly Jesus who doesn't say hard stuff, right? He's not, the, he's not the Christ of the Bible. He's a dumbed-down caricature. He is a cartoon. He's not the one we read about in the Gospels. Regarding the Bible, 
Um, it, the Bible will not be the final authority of a false church. They will jettison things that are politically incorrect. If they put pressure, you know, you know, if you have a coward in, in the pulpit, they would just edit stuff. They would just push it to the side. And, and they, if you have unprincipled men uh, making decisions, they'll just push the hard stuff to the side. Let's just sing Kumbaya. They'll put traditions, councils, and church dogma equal to the Bible. They may hire a prophet who gets new revelations from God, right? Which there is no new revelation that would ever, that, that would ever contradict this. If it contradicts this, it's, well, you know where it's from, right? They put political correctness above the truth. How about salvation? With regard to salvation... Uh, pseudo-Christianity will always add stuff, right? They'll add stuff that you have to do. Like I, I said earlier, like prayers or sacraments or ordinances or membership or religious works, etc., etc., etc. Now we know the Christian cults, Jehovah's Witnesses, Mormonism, and Christian Science, um, and other groups like that. We know that they're, they're adding stuff. They're adding stuff to the biblical Gospels and many of the mainline denominations have done much the same thing in these last days. So, I'm about done. <clears throat> You've done well. I think most of you have stayed on me uh, pretty well. Let me just listen to me one, just a few more minutes. I want to make a make a point here, and I want you to hear this. So, we can define pseudo Christianity as any denomination or teacher that takes the message of the 66 books of the Christian Bible and seeks to, one, reinterpret it. Meaning, to twist. And you guys know this. If you know the Word, you know how slick these guys are. They twist and distort the obvious meaning of the biblical words. Two, they will amend the Bible. They will alter, modify, or revise the Bible's clear meaning. They will edit the Bible to subtract or remove so-called error from the Bible. They will supplant it. They will put traditions and the words of men in the place of the Bible. They will truncate the Bible. They will ignore or disregard passages that are uncomfortable or politically incorrect. They will discount the Bible. They will dismiss obvious literal significance and consequence or import. They will supplant, pardon me, supplement the Bible meaning to put so-called truth, so-called revelation or tradition not found in the Bible in a chief place of worship and practice. Lastly, they will contextualize the Bible, meaning to discount the full meaning of the Bible's words due to some cultural difference between the 1st and 21st century. There are many more we could talk about, but I won't go on. You should be able to get the point. So, at ICM, we are just like Martin Luther, God willing. Unless we are convinced by Scripture and plain reason, we do not accept the authority of popes and councils, for they have often contradicted one another. Our conscience is captive to the Word of God. Here we stand. We can do no otherwise. We love the Bible here. 
We love the truth of God. It is power. It is truth. Someone tell me. We talked about it Wednesday night. I think at Bible study. Maybe it was the week before. How does God save a man? How does faith come? By hearing. By hearing what? The Word of God. Do I need to say anything else? Faith comes by hearing the words of God. You know, we don't... We're not big enough. But even if we were big enough, there's no way I'd build our worship service around music. There are some popular churches that build their whole service around music and give only a small amount of time for the preaching. I would not do that. It's the, you know, people say, Jim, if you did miracles, you'd have more people. Hey, miracles happen in here a lot. Lives get changed all the time. People hear God for the first time. They've been in church all their life. They hear Him for the first time and their life is turned upside down. Beloved, I've seen it for 14 years now. It's why I preach the Gospel. I get to watch this stuff. It's, it's just a lot of fun. So we understand the power and the truth of the Bible. God has come for us. We are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Don't you dare add religion to Him. It's an offense and a stench in the nostrils of God. It's what the Protestant Reformation was all about. It's the fight you're still supposed to be in if you're a Christian tonight. You're supposed to be in this fight for the truth of God. I'm going to close with Ephesians 6. This is how true believers identify and stand against pseudo-Christianity. And we're done. Finally, Paul says, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Put on the full armor of God. Now why would he say that if, this is, if we're playing tiddlywinks here? Are we playing tiddlywinks when it comes to Christianity? Is this softball? It's full contact, beloved. It's full contact. Listen to what he says. Put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in heavenly places. Therefore, take up the full armor of God so that you will be able to resist in the evil day. Stand firm, therefore, having girded your loins with truth and having put on a breastplate of righteousness and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, in addition to all, taking up the shield of faith with which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Beloved, since Genesis 3, it's always been a and you're supposed to be in it. If you're a Christian tonight, you're supposed to be in the fight. You're supposed to be knowledgeable about what God says about Himself, what God says about man, what God says about redemption, what God says about judgment. You're supposed to know this stuff. 
so you can tell your friends and family. It's a big deal, beloved. It's a big deal. Let's pray together. Father, I'm not a prophet, but I have a sense that there are some here who have been indifferent to your truth, indifferent to who you are, indifferent to what you say. Lord, I pray that you would grant a spirit of repentance. I'm not a prophet, but I believe there are some here who claim to be Christians but almost never pick up the truth. Lord, I pray that You would grant a spirit of repentance. That we would remember what You've left us on the planet to do. Lord, I suspect there are some here who've never been in the fight at all because they just simply don't know enough Lord, I pray You would grant a spirit of of conviction and repentance. Lord, all of us have miles to go. And You are a gracious and merciful God. And we rejoice in that fact. But Lord, we understand that human life is precious and it is short. So Lord, if there's anyone sitting in here tonight that is deceived... I pray You would grant the spirit of repentance. Lord God, thank You for this invaluable gift. This gift of so great a value that it... Well, it's worth the cosmos. This book. This book that You dictated and preserved for Your people. Thank You, Lord. Thank You that we have all that we need to be Your people in the world and to lovingly share the truth with all who will listen. We thank You, Father. We love You. We praise You. You are a great Creator, Savior God. There is no God like You. No other God like Jesus Christ, King of kings and Lord of lords, before whom every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. We worship You. Use us for Your glory, we pray, in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. Amen. I will close this with a benediction since our pianist is engaged. Uh, Let's stand together and let me read these words and then we'll be dismissed. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make His face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up His countenance on you and give you peace. God bless you. Go in peace. Have a wonderful week. Hope to see you next week.